I'm Ryan, and we're talking. Welcome back to Talking in Stations. This week we're talking about the Alliance Tournament. I went through an introduction. I forgot what I said, but we have Abby here running things, so you can blame all mute complaints to Abby. And then we also have Ithaca Hawk. Ithaca, you want to give an introduction? Hi again, guys. This is technically take three, I think, for going live. But yeah, I'm Ithaca Hawk. I'm part of Eventy. Also fly with people from Volta. I was asked if I wanted to come on and talk about the Alliance Tournament. Involved in 80s as a player, like, uh, so they're in 80, uh, 10, 11, I think, something like that. And then as a commentator, caster, and eventually host since last tournament 15. I was the main host last year at Iceland, where the 87 team is broadcast from, and I'll be involved again for 8018. So, you know, tough luck if you wanted to see someone else's face, you stuck with me. Alrighty, and so we have 8018 CCP this last week came out with the rules. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't even last week with the rules, right? It was a couple weeks ago. I know everyone was very upset because they were waiting all July for the rules, and then now they're finally excited for the rules, but now they want to be mad about the rules. Do you have a TLDR for someone who hasn't read the rules? I know. Uh, TLDR is that they're similar to the years before. The Mercenary Rule makes a return. It was quite popular last year. This allows people not in the alliance to be part of the team so it makes it so that people feel less like they're forced to leave their group of friends that they fly with on tq to join a, a, an alliance that has a team if they want to participate in the alliance tournament which is cool uh, means more people can get in and play which is always fun and there's a number of changes to the point system last year it was sponsored by mordu's legion so you had things like the arthurus uh, were all un, underpointed this year it's sponsored by the mimitar republic so the mimitar ships this year are downpointed um, so expect to see a whole bunch of uh, like Mimitar Rush-based comps. Uh, things like the Scimitar, Sleipnir have always been super popular anyway, so they're going to be even more popular with uh, less points. And there's also been a couple of changes just to the general makeup of the, the tournament rule set. So you can now bring up to four of the same ship, which is up from previous years. However, there is a incrementing point cost to do so. So if a ship is three points, and you bring two of them, then it takes cost a total of eight points as each ship is worth three points plus one extra. If you bring four of them, then they would be worth five points each, so it'd be fifteen points. Uh, so it goes up from there, or something like that. I'm not a math expert, but that's uh, that's the gist of it. Yeah, and I do know CCP actually has, I think, a spreadsheet in the rules with the points, so you can actually build your comps. And so if you're kind of a bad at math like I am, you can do it pretty easily. I've seen lots of talk there of the formulas behind the scenes and whatnot. Although four four ships allows Volta to actually be competitive this year. I'm really excited. Yeah, we can legally bring four destroyers. We were very excited to read that when, when that came out. So excited that Volt A and Volt B considered merging back to just Volta once again and kicking out Volt C as is tradition. We all thought about who got to fly with Jason Ortiz. And of course, he now left to join Tuskers because he is a traitor. Shame on him. But yeah, so so rules are out, but I don't think CCP has actually released, what is it, like the prizes? You talked about it was Minmatar this year. They specifically call out the Mimmer, the Mimer, and the Freki coming back as the prize ships, which are a, have already been released. They said there will be changes to them, but nobody really knows what that looks like just yet to make them different well, from the old ones. This is an example of how this has happened before. The uh, Amar Championship, the prizes were uh, gold and silver magnates, which were originally given out in about 2004 in the original Amar Championship. Uh, there was a lot of extreme butthurt from collectors, of course, having their precious prize ships be reissued. But CCP also rebalanced them for the, the more modern game from you know, 2015 to 2004. It was quite a, a big chunk of time and released them. But they sort of back updated the old one so if you hold an old silver magnate it was exactly the same as the new silver magnates as far as, as far as i understand what they're planning to do this time is release new mimir and freckies but they're going to be different somehow from the old ones whether the old ones maintain their old balance set or don't get the update that the new ones have or something else maybe they get the same update but they're differentiated somehow as an original version not the new version which is kind of cool it means you've got like an original issue, first edition Mimir versus a crappy second edition copy. 
Yeah, they'll be good. I'm I'm really curious how they do that too, because I kind of hope they update the old ones, but at the same time, I don't know. I feel like it'd make a lot of people mad, and it'd also be kind of funny to read. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm all for this whole reissuing of things. I've actually said for years that this is something that they should do because one of the difficulties for running the alliance tournament from ccp's point of view is the dev time and effort it took to create the prize ships it's not insignificant and they've always said i've always said why don't you just like reissue old ones it's been done before and then you don't have to have this huge amount of testing development and, and balancing of this brand new ship coming in so i i think it's great and i also really agree with uh, last year they significantly upped the number of prize ships available so instead of just being the top three or four teams that get prizes which is somewhat consistently the same ish groups most years and it really empowers the at ship cartel which has existed for many years the fact that down to i think it's eighth position get prize ships is awesome eighth is quite reachable for a lot of teams so you you no longer just get eight you know pat in the back well done here's a, a few bits of plex you know well done for spending hundreds of hours and achieving almost nothing. Now you get to achieve pretty cool dual-pass ships, which is awesome. Yeah, for sure. I also know the comment about the dev time. CCP has also made comments that when they allowed Alliance tournament ships in the AT itself, that they had to have considerations of balance because they were such a huge advantage and they didn't want to make it too powerful of an advantage. But now they said that you know when they're doing all these rebalancing or coming out with new ships, they can just make them super OP because they don't have to worry about them being in the Alliance tournament, and because they're so rare and unique that they should be overpowered and kind of broken on TQ, so they can kind of go wild. So I'm kind yeah. of excited to see if they make some of these ships or rebalance some of them to be super, super strong. Yeah, some of them that will eventually come back around, because the way they're doing it is they are starting again. They've gone back to the Tower Republic, so the Mimir and Freki. I think that's from like Alliance Tournament 10 or something like that, maybe? And then Alliance Tournament 11... The one after it, I believe, is the Utu and the Adrestia. So next year's Alliance tournament should be Utu and the Adrestia. And they go forward through the same series. So there's like a good 10 years or more, I think 14 years between the original release and, and the current year. So it's a significant amount of time you have to wait if you don't get to win one this year. So it's not as if it's, you're going to be getting them every single year. They're still going to be incredibly rare. You have to like play for another 15 years if you want another chance of winning them. Um, yeah. So I think that's pretty cool. And being overpowered is, yeah, fine. People still find a way to feed them. So, you know, whether it's a web drones or something like that for a lay laps and getting skadunkadunked or whether you just didn't pay the Von Hull tax. Yeah, it's actually, I, I will say, I think we've seen more AT ships lost in this last year because of the new ones being released and how widespread they were released than we have, like, any time before. Because it used to just be, oh, wow, once once every maybe six months, but it was mostly once a year, if any. And then, yeah. like, this last year, we've had, like, so many. I feel so, so many bad. people who never had an AT ship before, and suddenly their team won, like, four of each of them. And, you know, they've now got access to these amazing ships. And they get a massive target on their back, of course. But that's great. It's pushed the value down a little bit as well. I know some people complained about that. Their 250 billion-esque ship is now only worth 160 billion. Oh, no. Cry me a river. But, you know, more people got to go out and fly them. And I think we saw that. On TQ, and I'm super excited to see another generation of Eve pilots realize that the Memir and Freki are pretty terrible. Unless he does something about it, because they are hot garbage. Yeah, I think the comment was because they did get the 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 hack update or the assault damage control update, but that was like literally it. So they're like, I think that someone said like a Rifter was probably better than a Freki if you pilot it right, and like that's yeah. really sad. There's some like the Guardian Vexer, which is just completely useless. It gets to field 10 drones, right? It still gets to field 10 drones. You can have 10 Hobgoblin 2s out or 10 like Tech 2 Retbots, whatever you wanted. Um, however, it doesn't get any bonuses to them. So it does less damage than like a regular Vexer and it has basically the same tank. So you're just flying around in a less effective, easier to defang Vexer that would cost you half a trillion. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely insane. I'm hoping CCP overpowers or like overbuffs these so they're super powerful, but we'll see. So we talked about prizes, a little bit about rules. How? So I know last year CCP had to limit the number of entries. Have they upped it to 64 like we're used to, or is it still lower? Do you know? I believe it's still here? 32 and it's still over two weekends. Last year it was 32 as well. I think they underestimated the 
appetite for the return of the Alliance tournament after the hiatus. And there was there's a feeder tournament. This is last year I'm talking about now. There's a feeder tournament and something like 50 teams were in that for eight slots, which was brutal, absolutely brutal. So we said, hey, why can't we just like have more teams in the main tournament? And we were able to squeeze 40 teams into the main tournament, meaning 16 games and feeders, and still keep it in the two-day, or two-weekend, sorry, schedule that was allotted. Again, this year, it's exactly the same situation. It's two weekends that have been allotted for a Lions tournament in November. It's 32 teams. I imagine if there's the same kind of appetite as last year, then... Maybe something like that might happen again. I don't know. This time, instead of the feeders, it's the trials tournament, sort of playing into the Mimitar tribal sort of stuff, uh, which is kind of cool. I like it when they put a little bit of RP, like the Amar Championship was kind of about that. So I hope there's a little bit of NPC RP involved in the trials. That'd be kind of fun. But yeah, I don't know how many people will apply for that yet. I don't know how many teams will be involved. But in theory, right now, it's 32 teams in the main tournament. All right. I was kind of sad about that, but I also realized you're right. If it's over two weekends and 64 teams, that's like insane, like nonstop. Yeah. Like, I rolled well, the in for sure. It was like the production side of things. I mean, everyone's like, oh, why can't you just have more? But there's a, there's a limit to how much you can run. If you watch weekend one of Alliance Tournament 17, you can almost feel the time pressure of like match 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 and that requires quite a lot of moving parts to work flawlessly one after the other without a single interruption to keep that schedule as soon as one thing starts to maybe someone gets teleported into system and one of their modules is offline for some reason and it holds the game up for like two minutes as they try and sort it out before the match starts then the next game someone is like offline or there's a problem with the tool so they have to kind of restart the match now we're five minutes behind and boom suddenly you're out of your buffer and now the schedule starts to slip so it was it was tough. <laughs> I mean, we yeah. made it work, but it was tough. Well, that too. And it's like, you also have to consider the players, right? Like you might have a match in the morning and then it's like, oh, okay, you won or lost. Now you have to wait 10 hours or whatever to go to the next match if you have those really long schedules. And it yeah. sucks as a competitor trying to organize all that. Yeah, it's also hard to keep the production quality at, that, at the level that we want for that long of production with that amount of pressure and and. and like the speed of everything because it's intense speaking as you know someone who's been involved in it you've got the referees who are working really hard with multiple games they're running at the same time uh, setting one up while one is playing while one is doing bands so they're usually running three at the same time then there's the actual studio staff who are having to like mix and manage everything then you've got the people on the desk we don't know how much long this we have to film talk about things we want to make it interesting and entertaining and you then have to do that for 10 hours straight with essentially no breaks it can be pretty intense and you don't want the quality to suffer because you're trying to do too much like if you try to do like a 15 hour stream to get more teams in it would end up just not being as fun for everybody and the view the viewing experience would be kind of crap as well i think yeah oh yeah for sure yeah i remember those long days those are they're intense and time seems to fly by but at the same time it crawls so yeah i I mean i remember like you would we we had to like cut out some of the breaks to catch up and you a match could go for the full 10 minutes it could even go to 15 if it went to tie-dye or it could be over in you know a couple of minutes depending on what happened so if you needed to do something like go to the bathroom when we were at the ccp studios it was like a solid three or four minute walk away from where the, the studio was so you'd like hand over to the match like run to the the bathroom and i was in my socks running through ccp's headquarters like sliding around on the floor and i would go to the bathroom and i'd run back slide into the studio to see if the match was still running and at least once i came in and they were like already onto the adverts i was like oh crap i had to quickly like get the cliff notes from i think laz tell who was like studiously watching it to make sure that he could fill me in when i got back nice nice yeah that's that's way too much pressure especially if you want just like i just want to grab food or drink water or whatever but, yeah, Nash um, was really good at making sure people did that, actually. That was kind of his thing. Like, whenever we were between studio segments, he was, like, refilling everyone's drinks, making sure they had, like, a snack and things like that, and just making sure... Because it's important. To, people will forget to eat. The studio mom sort of vibe. Yeah. People will forget to eat because during the moment, you're, like, busy, obviously, on the stream. And then when the matches are on, 
you're focusing on the matches, you're looking at them, you're, you're paying attention so that you've got interesting things to talk about when you come back. Like no one wants to come back and be like, yeah, so I mean, I guess we saw a match, but don't really know who won. Anyway, let's move on. So you're, you're trying to pay attention to it. So it's yeah, super intense for super long periods. And then you can easily forget to do things like eat. So he was yeah. very good at making sure we did that. So you're talking a lot about working in the studio. I know viewers at home, I think some of them want to know how they could get, you know, the opportunity you and I have had in the past. What would you say to them? I would say get on our level. And I would say there's an easy way to do that. And that is to apply and give it a go. And so Eventy is currently recruiting for casters and analysts. The applications are open right now. I believe they're open until the end of next week. I think the 18th, something like that. It says on the website. So make sure you check that if you're actually thinking of applying. It's not that difficult to apply. You just need to go through our, our application. We have some minimum requirements in terms of if, you, if we need you to travel to be in the studio, then you obviously need to have a passport. And we need to have some details so that we can book your flights and things like that. Even if you've never done it before, if you've ever thought about it, if you've ever watched the Lions tournament and be like, man, these guys know nothing, I could do this better than them, then you know, give it a go, Like apply. We'll reach out to some, a certain number of people to do interviews and go through a bit of a process with them and even if we don't necessarily select you to come to the studio and be one of the desk analysts we might select you to be one of the remote casters or if maybe you're, you're still new to it and you need a bit more practice maybe you get an invite to come and work with us on the trials so instead of the main alliance tournament you get some practice under your belt doing matches in the trials and then finally we also have the even t tends to run our open practices uh, which is pretty sort of scuffed streams that me and BRJ throw together where we just ha- have a bit of a easy life, open practice, stream some matches, have a bit of fun. And people are always welcome to come along uh, and join those as well. I would say, honestly, if you ever wanted to give it a go, just apply. Like All that can happen is you don't get it, but maybe you do. Maybe you get to fly out to the UK if you're not from the UK and come hang out with everybody be part of the production it's a really cool experience rain you've obviously done it a number of times as well as me so i can say like genuinely a lot of hard work we expect people to work while they're there they're not there for fun but it is a lot of fun as well like hanging out with everybody after the like when you know when you cut for the final time everyone has a a couple of beers a couple of quiet beers followed by a couple of loud beers it's it's really good yeah i i highly encourage everyone to do it I know, like, when I went into it, I was really new. Like, both new to EVE, both new to PvP, both new to tournaments. And I, I mean, it's a lot of work to study and practice, but you eventually get there and, like, it's a team. It's not like you're going to be thrown into the UK to do stuff on your own or just thrown at the desk at home to do stuff on your own. And then CCP also compensates you. So it's not, yeah. it's a convention work, but it's like, you are, it's paid work. It's not just, yeah. haha, teehee, volunteer for 10 hours every weekend sort of thing. Yeah, we cover your time. We pay for your flights and travel. We pay for your accommodation. So you won't be out of pocket. If you're in the UK, it's obviously a lot easier to get there. You pretty much do need to make sure you have the ability to take up to 10 days off if you're coming from abroad because we're not going to be able to send you home in the middle, especially if you come from somewhere like America. I uh, would expect you to probably be there the uh, like the Thursday, the Friday before, which again is paid for, and then stay there for the, the 10 days. So it's the two weekends plus the week in the middle. And then we send you home with a pat in the back and a, and a job well done. If, you, if, if anyone, by the way, is thinking about this and isn't sure about it or just wants to like talk about it, feel free to reach out to me on like Twitter or Discord or anywhere. Maybe don't send me a letter in the post. That would be a bit creepy. But feel free to reach out. I'm happy to look at anything you want me to look at. Happy to have a chat. Happy to you know give advice, whatever. Not that I'm any form of expert on it but i think i know enough about the system to give you some advice so yeah feel free yeah for sure i'm gonna post your thing in the chat for folks i hope that's not my postal address i don't know your postal address (laughs) it's a good hashtag yeah just just your discord for folks who want to reach out maybe that'll help for folks on the vods too we know no not everyone watches live I'm also I'm also trying to think. So that's how people who volunteer. And so Eventy is running the main production from the UK, but also running the trials. Are you guys doing a big studio setup for the trials, or is that more like like less like more low key? It's not going to be in person studio, at least as far as I'm aware. Thus far in the plan, 
simply because the cost involved in studios is significant. It's likely to be something similar to the Alliance Open, which we ran during COVID with a virtual setup, virtual desks. And then the actual Alliance tournament itself will have a, a full studio production. And the studio we've got this year is awesome. I am extremely excited. It's going to be pretty cool. Nice. Alrighty. And then I'm trying to think too. I know we talked a lot. We talked a bit about the rules. I feel like we go really in depth in the rules, but I think that might glaze people's eyes over. Glaze, yeah, glaze some people's eyes over with like how complex they are, or like how in depth and detailed they are. I do know a lot of the, the, the I want to say the participants have voiced their both their concerns and their appreciation for some of the rule changes. I think the big one that a lot of people I've seen complaints about are scripts being allowed. So we might see a big shakeup in some of the meta with E-War and whatnot. But You're going to see a lot of damps, I think. I think any ship with a free mid slot is going to suddenly have damps filled into it. Um, I mean, I'm all for updating and changing the meta. Like, it's boring if it's stale and you, know, you can just pick up last year's comps, drop them into this year, and then run them and do almost the same. So I'm, I think it's good that it's going to force people to change, especially with the fact that the, the points are just all over the place with this incremental rule. I somewhat think maybe better if you could only fit things like damp scripts to ships with bonuses to it rather than just any old ship. But I guess that remains to be seen. Yeah, I'm curious to see kind of what, how the meta will look too. I think last year a lot of people said, was it, was it Gila spam last year? That might have been Anger Games that I'm thinking of. But I, I remember there was like a lot of talk about Gila spam one of the years, and then it started out that way, but then by the end it wasn't there. Yeah, you'll see some like hints of it during the like open practices and then the feeders, depending on if there's like a decent team that doesn't get into the silent auction, you'll probably see some semi-decent comps appearing in the trials. The open practices, you'll see some just nonsense. And some team might accidentally find something that's useful, but we've seen it for a couple of years where you kind of a meta develops pre-season or pre pre-tournament and then it just gets blown out the water in week one like teams who are maybe not the sort of top tier theory crafters bring what has been kind of thought to be the established meta and then the some of the top tier teams bring something completely different and it turns out that's the meta yeah it's always interesting to see kind of how that shapes kind of like you can tell who's practicing with who because of how they bring their comps to to show them to fight yeah. yeah. The other thing, too, I was just thinking about this. I know, so we talked a lot about even T's involvement. CCP is still involved, right? Are they going to be going to the UK with y'all? Yeah, CCP will have some people there. Some of the stuff is still in planning at this point. But yes, CCP will be involved, CCP will be there. Essentially, right. we're producing it on their behalf, much like we did for Lance Tournament 16, which was fully in the UK. Lance Tournament 17 was fully in Iceland, and then and then 18 fully in the UK again. CCP have been involved and have the final say in pretty much everything the whole time. So Event is just a bit of company in this case. Alrighty. And then I know, because if CCP is involved, that means they're doing all their stuff on Tranquility. But they're also, I believe the, the trials are also now on Thunderdome, right? Is Thunderdome going to yes. be a... The trials will be in Thunderdome, just like the feeders last year. For those of you who don't know, Thunderdome is a separate server, sort of like Singularity, except it's specifically for tournament use. It's not on Tranquility, and that's pretty cool because it means that if you don't get into the silent auction or you're not invited because you didn't finish top three in last year, you can pay the basic minimum 2,500 plex to be entered and then go through the trials. And then if you make your way into the main tournament, fantastic, you're in the main tournament. If not, then you haven't actually lost out. So everyone gets perfect max skills. You get like 600 million skill points. All the ships are free. You don't lose anything on your kill boards. It's just literally matches. No harm, no foul. Uh, so just the experience. So I encourage any small alliances that maybe have thought about doing the alliance tournament but don't want to commit to you know, the money involved in terms of like paying for all the ships you have to get through the, the main tournament with and you know flagships and things like that. It doesn't cost anything other than the actual entry fee which you get back if you don't get through the feeders 
So it literally cost you nothing but some time. No, that's really good to hear. I'm I'm always excited that these tournaments are way more accessible now, especially for players. I know Thunderdome, I think P's intending to open Thunderdome up even just for practice, which helps folks get used to like how like how the arena should look, how teleporting should look, how a referee communicates. And I think yeah. that's super critical when you're super nervous day one on your first match. Yeah, I've I've been there. I, I'm sure I've told this story a number of times before, but it's always worth mentioning. I've been captain in tournament teams before, and the way the banning tool used to work was it would just come up. You'd be sitting there just chilling out, and then bang, and this big thing on the screen just start with big red numbers just counting down, like to one decimal place as well so it's counting down pretty rapidly and you had to make your ban it was a drop down list of every single ship in the game including different editions and like the miasmos and just nonsense uh, so you had to find the ship you wanted to ban and ban it and like you all the practice would go out the window suddenly you'd be sitting there and you're like cool what we're going to do is this is our strategy we're going to ban this ship and this ship and then the first ban from the team would come through and it would be like i don't know an abaddon and you'd be like Holy crap, guys! They banned the Abaddon. What what the hell does that mean? What should we do now? And then you would like end up like panic banning the Orca or something like that because you had no idea what was going on. It's it's quite stressful. It's uh, having Thunderdome to have a bit of practice with that kind of like the tournament mechanics is is good. Yes. No. I remember your story reminds me of Elise's story. So Elise, Elise, Captain. What was it? The PL team ages ago, and this was back with the scripts. So we talk a lot about the damp scripts being allowed again. It just reminds me of Elisa's stories and your story. It's just like he said the only thing he would ban would be like the Mollus and the the Celeste. I want to say Celeste. Celestis, yeah, yeah. And like that's all he would do is like he literally had no other strategy. Just every time that tool popped up, it was Mollus Celestis, and he knew like the bare minimum, <laughs> like he would be kind of okay within the tournament because of that. Yeah, I remember that year because uh, you there was no penalty to bringing multiple of anything. So people would just bring like three Mollus, uh, three Celestis, 18 billion damps. And then there was the the tactics of like damp wars. Like who do you damp? Who damps first and things like that. It's just, <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping that that's not going to be the case this year. I hope it's going to be a bit more nuanced with the fact that you have to bring, if you bring additional Celestis, for example, which are bonus to damps, then you would get the extra points. So it might reduce the number of people trying to just fill their team with damp ships. Yeah, I got you. Hopefully. I know you and I have been talking a lot. Abby, your engineer, do you want to talk or ask any questions? It's all right. We have, we have certain people that do that. So, yeah. Well, the flagship rules have changed a bit this year as well, actually, which I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of. So last year and the year before, you could have Abyssals. I said the year before, the previous Alliance tournament, which was like two years before. When Alliance Tournament 16 ran, there wasn't that many different modules that could be Abyssaled. It was still fairly new, and people still were figuring it out. It was basically Shacks and Balgarns. Then last year, they banned specific flagships, but the number of modules that could be Abyssaled was significantly higher. So you would have these flagships and you had no clue what the hell was going on with them because they could be like a tech 2 scram which was abyssal or it could be some like 50 bill officer scram that was abyssal which kind of ruined some of the fun of like turbo expensive ships dying so I'm actually kind of glad that they've gone back to removing abyssals from flagships yeah because I know for a fact that some of the flagships that died in the last alliance turn were north of 250 billion like not an insignificant amount of them there's probably like well over a trillion and a half of flagships died last alliance tournament but zedkill has it is like you know a couple hundred million because <laughs> uh, there's there's no there's no value to abyssal mods on zedkill because there's no way to know so going back to seeing you know 100 bill flagships go down will be exciting yeah, for sure. Oh, Ab- wait, Abby, I think, did you fix your volume? Chat can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> you can say it to us and I can repeat it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if chat can hear him, but one of his friends won an expensive abyssal mod on Hypernet and was keeping itself an AT team and now can't do that. People used to do that with, like, Toby Webbs, for example, was the classic one. So the Balgorn with a Tobias Officer Webb 
could and links uh, and heat could web out to like 58 59 kilometers which meant that if you warped your balgorn in at zero the furthest an enemy ship could warp in was 50 you were guaranteed to be able to web something no matter where they warped in can they hear us at all now i think they're just talking about abby but can chat hear us okay (laughs) yeah so like you would receive and then it would start the match and unless you're a mystical might you would get who would get jammed every time you would slap that web on the enemy logistics ship before it could run away and then your small tackle would burn in and web it Uh, tackle it down and then it would you know that was it game over so having things like certain ships banned from flagships is actually kind of interesting because it forces people to pick something else otherwise it will just be pretty much Balgorns and Lashaks as well. So Lashak, Balgorn, Rattlesnake and Widow are not allowed as flagships this year. Your stream's paused by the way Abby on Discord just in case you're still showing stuff there. I don't think... Oh there it goes. But yeah and then I know last year there was a lot of issue. Not issue but people it felt very stale because there was a lot of what was it? The bar- the Barghest, because it had discounted points for a flagship. So everyone brought a Barghest. So- yeah, the bar- Barghest, though, as a flagship was interesting because essentially it's the flagship historically with the lowest amount of EHP. Um, so it was easy to kill if you caught a, a flag Barghest compared to, for example, uh, a flag Balgorn. The-, the tank difference was immense. And the flag Barghest tended to fit better in with more kitey setups, which meant if that setup fell apart, then that flagship could die. I mean, uh, I know Ride My Turtle had like a 300 bill Barghest, which died and of course doesn't appear on Zedkel because of Abyssals. So the values won't be as much without Abyssals, but we'll see them. <laughs> so that'll be kind of fun. Yeah. It's also probably easier for some of the newer teams too, like Abyssals, you either buy them from someone or you have to invest on rolling your own. And that can get really, really expensive yeah. really, really fast. So like even the newer teams, like they can have a at least a reasonable flagship this time around. So that's one of the things like people used to be like, oh, we can't do AT because we have to spend like 50 bill on the flagship. Not true. You basically don't have the same fitting restrictions. Normally the land term, you can only fit up to tech two. So you can't fit like a, a faction scram. On, on just any old ship it has to be tech too so if you feed your entire comp and maybe it's got two battleships in it you're probably going to lose maximum a couple of billion in mainly in the whole cost at the minute that's not that much and in theory if you fed twice you would be out so you if you just lost everything twice you would maybe spend like four bill to be in the alliance tournament if you win two matches now i think you're into almost into prize ship territory. I think three ships get guarantees your prize ship. So that's not that difficult. I've been in like low tier, low tier teams many years ago and we go like two and two. And now that would be putting, putting us in the sort of flagship area. Uh, sorry, uh, prize ship area. Flagships don't have that same restriction of tech two. So you can slap on like a faction module. Not all faction modules are that expensive. If you go back to like a Lance tournament 16 and look at flagships that died then, you'd have some of the smaller teams just putting, say, regular faction or dead space rather than officer, because you, you, no one wants this. Not many, not many teams are willing to spend like 50, 60 billion on a, a Tobias web. But if you can get an extra, like, you know, 10 kilometers by spending like 1.5 billion on a nice faction or dead space web, then that still gets you a benefit. So it's still worth it for sure. But it definitely, definitely takes away some of the pressure of having to do abyssal rolls. Some of the top tier teams. I know I spent an inordinate amount of time and money rolling modules trying to get good rolls. And speaking from a person who was involved in practice as well, trying to replicate those on Singularity before we had Thunderdome was a nightmare because you would sit and roll like 200 modules trying to get them, and it's one at a time. <laughs> yes, not fun at all. And then I do know, I'm trying to think because you mentioned the wins and like if you almost getting prize ships, even if you don't get prize ships, if you still get wins, you get skins. Well, I I should say in the past you would get skins. It was like ten skins for every win, and then I'm assuming CCP is going to do skins again this year. But that was always real easy to make a quick buck back to if your if your players didn't want like if yeah, they don't nice want skins. Them. They're usually like pretty cool, so definitely 
you will if you get like a win then you get some some pretty dope skins that came in like the skin thing came in a long time ago i think like alliance yeah. 12 or 13 it was with uh, the garistas one because they had instead they had the blueprint and everyone was like why would you have this and yeah. so then it eventually got converted to skins i remember me and nash cadaver were the captains for the bastards alliance tournament team alliance tournament 13 and he was the official captain, but there was a couple of us that actually kind of ran the team. So when we got the skins for our two and two, we got like 20 skins. And they were worth like a good few billion, I think, at the time. They were like, quite, maybe, not, maybe not a billion. But whatever they were worth, Nash missed a zero out when he listed them in Jita. So they all immediately sold for a tenth of their value. So <laughs> we got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst, because like you may not even recuperate your losses from from yeah. the tournament. Yeah. <laughs> so if you do win some skins, check the prices that you're listing them for. Yeah. Same with your prize ships too. I've heard of people accidentally selling prize ships for super cheap. Yeah. I mean, prize ships are meant to be flowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got I got a Raiju from Last Alliance tournament, and it's a lot of fun. It's. I remember back in the day, like undocking, like in a expensive cruiser, like a faction cruiser, like a, like a phantasm or something like that, and being like, "Oh wow, <laughs> look at me!" Uh, and then feeling like the sort of little bit of the the PvP shakes, and then like as you get more experience, you don't really get them as much anymore. It's like adrenaline junk because you have to like increase the rush. But then like flying around, like a couple of months ago, we went in that AT ship roam. Some of the Volta guys, we had like six Laylaps, six Raiju. A couple of others as well. There was a Chromos and a few other bits and pieces, and we got in some fights. And it's just, it's so incredibly overpowered. Like even if you're outnumbered, like you're, it's pretty hard to lose. But it's still, you still put in like a lot of money on the line, and it's, it's yeah, it was fun. It was, it was, uh, it was good. And we for sure wouldn't have been able to do that with the less number of prize ships because people would have wanted to sell them to recoup some of the cost, make some money. But you can still sell a bunch of them and have a bunch left over to give out to the team. So. And you only have to come eighth to get ships, which is pretty awesome. Come eighth, get like three hundred billion. GG. Yeah, definitely worth at least somewhat of the time investment and the ISK investment that teams put in. I'm trying to think of like what else there is to talk about with the tournament. I think we covered a lot of the big stuff. We talked about scheduling trials in October, big tournament in November, not during Thanksgiving weekend, so Americans will be fine. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Americans get really mad about their Thanksgiving weekend, so it fits exactly between Thanksgiving and the World Cup, I believe. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. So, like, no sports fans will be mad about it or anything. Yeah. Yeah, the dates are on the rules, which I believe was already shown a little while ago, but probably yeah, Abby. Over. They had a lot more stuff, so like, so like roster lock-ins. Yeah. Which I'm assuming is for like mercenaries and whatnot. Oh, so there's more than that. Actually, it's probably worth talking about that then. Basically, if you're in an alliance, if you have a team, I cannot find the dates. I'm scrolling on my own screen looking for them. Here we go. Right, so signups are open. are closed on the 23rd, which is my birthday. And you have to have your team submitted by then in the sense that the captain, which is your alliance executor, has to apply for the alliance tournament. That's it. On August 30, you submit your roster, or before August 30, you submit your roster and that's who's given Thunderdome access. That includes your mercenaries. Basically, you have to be in the alliance you're going to compete for before that date. If you, let's say, Gunsworn Federation were putting a team in, and Rain joined Gunsworn Federation in October, she would not be eligible to fly for the Gunsworn team because she was not in that alliance before the roster lock date. She has to be in that alliance then. Uh, that's how it works. It's basically to stop people just jumping ship when they, if they join a team and then find that they're kind of a bit crap and decide to move or they don't make it through the trials. So they, everyone just piles into a good alliance. If you want to be able to fly, you have to be in that alliance and you cannot change until after the alliance tournament finishes. Mercenaries, of course, are slightly different. You can still only be in one mercenary team and once you're submitted for it, you cannot be in any others. If you were to be in another alliance that is in the tournament, I don't think you can be a mercenary. So you can't be in, say, Pandemic Legion, who 
that's a bad example. They probably don't have a team this year. Neither the NC, I think. No, the the big boys are are hanging up their hanging up their tournament shoes. Let's just say you're in Volta, but you want to be a mercenary for Tuskers. You couldn't do that. You would have to leave Volta and be in some other group that isn't in the tournament. Yeah, and I think mercenaries get a little more flexibility. So like, if you're a mercenary and you go from Alliance A to Alliance B, and neither are in the tournament, you're still allowed to be a mercenary. So it makes yeah. it super convenient. In in general, if you're not sure about that, uh, in your your specific circumstances, definitely check. Reach out to CSP Zealous, for example, and just tell them, hey, this is what I was thinking of doing. This is what the plan is. Will this be okay? And if it is, he will tell you. And if it's not, he will tell you. And then you can make your decision based on that. But yeah. yeah. So you, if you want to be in, you have until 23rd of August to convince your alliance executor to pay 2,500 plex for the privilege. And then there's all the silent auction stuff. Basically, everyone has to put in plex to see who gets the spots and whoever pays the most gets it. And that money goes into the prize pool. If you don't get one of those spots because you don't want to, maybe just put in 2,500 plex and leave it at that. Then you go into the trials. That happens in October. And then you have to have your flagship submitted by the 18th of October. And then the tournament itself is in the second and third weekend of November. And then submitting your flagship is just the whole. You don't have to submit a fit. You can change the fit as long as the you whole stays the same. Yeah. So, And you don't even have to have it. That's the best thing. You can be like, my flagship is the Raven State issue. Now, this happened a couple of years ago at PL did that they went our flagship's the raven state issue and everyone's like you don't have one of them and then they fielded it which if anyone doesn't isn't aware it's like a 2.5 trillion-esque ship so they brought it in in a match it was an easy win match for them they were just mainly proving that they had it and the the beauty with, with that is it meant that you people had to use a ban on it essentially so one of the benefits of having a flagship, even if you only tech two fit it, even if you if you're really really a poverty alliance and you don't want to spend any money on it, you can tech two fit it. You can dodge bans with it. So if you've got, I don't know, like a nightmare flagship, and then your opponent bans a nightmare, you can still bring your flagship. No problem. That's the best perk of flagships. Yeah, I think. Band I think the, yeah, and then I think the other thing too, the only thing worth noting is the August thirty date, the roster lock for Thunderdome access. So that's why CCP has the lock. Is because they can only have uh, so many Thunderdome accounts. So it's yeah. like 40 per team. So that's why you have to submit a roster. If you're like, hey, I don't want to do Thunderdome or whatever, you don't have to, technically. It's, oh, it's, is it the 30 plus 4, 10? It's like 30 Alliance members plus 10 Mercs. So 40. should be 40. Is it? I thought it was 30, including... I very much could be wrong. <laughs> I could have the math wrong, too. Don't worry. Anyway, just if you want Thunderdome access, have your roster lock ready to go because that's that's the purpose. Yeah. And then don't mess around on Thunderdome. I know like there's a lot of like Eve and the Alliance tournament have always have like the history of the spying and the espionage and cheesing stuff. That's fine on Tranquility and CC, but do not mess with it on Thunderdome. CCP gets really mad if you do like literally anything on Thunderdome. Like accidentally create too much tie dye, they get really mad. Yeah, Thunderdome. When it was born from CCP Logic Bro, it was just a spare server and it used to literally reside under his desk in the, the headquarters in Reykjavik and he had to like manually fix it a bunch. But now it's in London in the actual main server room and it's a bit more powerful, gets a bit more love. Uh, CCP Aurora basically fixed a whole bunch when she was working on it. Uh, CCP Zealous has taken over the reins there uh, and the tournament team kind of own that. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot less scuffed than it used to be Thunderdome, but it has its very specific use. If you go outside that, then then people get angry. <laughs> yeah. And then I was also thinking, did you talk at all about, remember how CCP came out with their community safety rules and whatnot? Do you want to talk about that real quick? Because I have a quote from Swift. Sure. Uh, so the whole community safety thing that came out not long ago has made its way into the Alliance tournament. Um, in a way that I personally agree with. So basically, I'm scrolling through looking for the actual wording of it. But basically, if you've fallen afoul of those tournament, the community safety rules, you risk not being allowed to fly and you risk having your lines removed. So you basically have to conduct yourself to the standards that is expected of you. It's very simple. Just don't be a dick and then you'll be all right. 
you want to read your quote and then we can talk about it a bit more? Yeah, so this is from Swift. So this was set on the partner Discord, and he did say it could be shared. It's literally in the quote, but he goes, "I know when we announced the policy, people were worried that we start banning retro- or that we'd start banning retroactively banning people for gamer words in 2012, but it's not really what it's meant to do." And you're free to repeat this. So really, the issue is like if you said something 10 years ago, whatever, you're probably fine. But if you went to a meetup and beat up somebody, you're probably going to be punished for that, which I feel like CCP should have done back then. But that's more of what it's focused on. It's more focused on like the community safety aspect, not, oh, you said a bad word one time situation. So I know there's a lot of people freaking out and there's a lot of people who should be freaking out because they do some of these really terrible things. But if you're just like some dude who got mad one time, you are probably okay. Yeah. I mean, people have said things over the years and people can look back at what they've said and realize what they said was incorrect, wrong whatever and and feel regret about it apologize for it and so on and that's perfectly fine like i have absolutely no issue with someone being like hey you know what back then i thought like this and what i did and said was wrong and i apologize for it and i'm a different person now cool happy to have you that's really adult thing to say it's mainly about yeah there was a whole big thing in the community about people taking things too far out of game and alliance tournament is part of the game so you know don't bring that to the alliance tournament we want you to like have like competitive instinct against each other and like want to like go in and like beat everybody up in game, but that's where it should stay. Like that's that's it. It's as simple as that. Like rule number one, don't be a dick. Like rule number two, be excellent to each other. Like it's, it's not that difficult. Yeah, exactly. Also, someone's trying to start that as copy pasta into a chat, which is kind of great. Yeah, yeah, people should be fine. I feel like this does not apply to like 99% of people, even though they may think it applies to them. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a welcome addition, to be honest. It's uh, I feel like it's a sign that the game is kind of growing up a little bit and the people as well. So, yeah, all that your comment though just reminded me of like hockey. Like in hockey, you know, they're playing the hockey game and then like two dudes just start fist fighting. Like, that would be really hilarious to see in EU. I guess we kind of see that with the tournament, where, like, you have this match going on, 10v10, and then in the corner there's, like, two tackle frigates fighting each other. Like, I think that's kind of the equivalent. Yeah. I never got that about hockey. Like, is this, like, part of the rules? They're allowed to do it? I like I don't know, but you see it all the time. Like, you watch a hockey game, like, especially the professional ones. It used to be more common. I think they're trying to cut down. But, but they, they have, just like, people that's like, I don't know much about it. I know that there's like a, a role called like the enforcer and their job is to like go fight people when it happens. They're the ones, sorry, that's my job. They come in and they start fighting and the refs stand around and be like, this is a legal fight. They're just, they've taken their gloves off. They're punching each other in the face. This is fine. Oh, so he's just bitten him in the ear. That's against the rules. Stop. Like, yeah. Well, cause like with hockey, right? They're covered in all this gear and then they have like their gloves and the masks or the helmets i should say i think only goalie has the mask but like you can see them cuz they do this like hand whip thing where they throw off their gloves and just start throwing fists and it's like tiny little fists and it's like usually hitting a dude in the helmet and it's like really funny yeah i mean th- there was that uh, fan fest one year there was that chess boxing match yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> maybe maybe that should be the final like some at boxing match where one round you have to fight with AT, then the next round you have to like send your captains in to to box each other, and if you <laughs> <laughs> that still counts. We should do that for the next fan fest when they do their little tournaments there. Do yeah. it live on stage; it'd be hilarious. Yeah, oh, that'd be even better because it was a two v two, right? So it's basically, yeah. like, basically like WWE wrestling. Like you tag in, like oh, and there's Starfleet Commander from the top rope. Like <laughs> he's got a chair. <laughs> like do stuff like that. You gotta, I would pay for this. I'd pay to see that. Manic Velocity bringing up mud wrestling. That would also be really good. I don't know if you could do it in Iceland, though, with how cold it is. Yeah, you'd probably just be frozen in the mud. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even get the mud. Yeah, okay. so Alliance Tournament coming soon to uh, Twitch TV slash CCP near you. Yes. I don't know if there's anything else. I know, Abby, your mic's not working. I don't know if you want to tell us something that we can repeat. Oh, we no. can't even hear you now. Oh, yeah, no, we can't hear you. We still can't hear you. You can just type it in the chat. And then if they can, I can do, like, final thoughts. Yeah. Abby's tech has slowly been failing through, through this. <laughs> oh, he says, he says he has no more questions or comments. So thank you, Abby. 
And then Isaac, I don't know if you have any final thoughts, anything you want to give a shout out for. You're our what you're our exclusive guest for the Alliance tournament right now. Um well shout out to all the UNT people that make this happen. So Barrett J works his little cotton socks off all the time. Discreet Error, aka Kyle, uh, puts a lot of work in as well. Uh, it's gonna be me, him and Bay doing the sort of like the talent applications this year. So it's a, it's a lot of work to do. So, you know, big shout out to them. All the rest of the crew, like Biohazard, uh, Amy Muff Muff, and people who like make a lot of the actual sort of day to day runnings of things happen as well. Super important for for UNT to to be able to do this. And then obviously to all the players who are going to be part of the Lance tournament who are probably already practicing furiously, theory crafting away, looking for the next big like tactic to 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 figure out before everyone else. And my actual final thoughts are yeah, just get involved. Like whether or not it's you want to be part of a team, make your own team. We talked about it a bit. It's pretty easy these days to, to get involved and it doesn't cost that much. It doesn't really cost anything if you don't get through the trials. And if you want to get involved in the casting, you know, the, the applications are open right now for the, another like five, six days. Um, you know, feel free to apply. And yeah, as I said earlier on, if you have any questions about tournament stuff, you just want advice, whatever, I'm happy to chat. So you can reach out and speak to me. And that's it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Isika. We'll be back next week. I actually may not be here, so we may either adjust the schedule, you may have another host. There's a lot of news that happened this week, so we didn't touch on literally any of it because we wanted to talk about the Alliance tournament. But there's still stuff happening in EVE, so make sure you tune in next week for a more larger, broader update with the goings-on in EVE Online. Thank more you, good folks. Yeah, have a, have a great weekend, everyone. Have a great weekend. <laughs>